When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bowen. Ben, we're, uh, we're, again, we're revisiting a topic, I guess, right? Um, yes, sir. Carol Shelby, but in, this time we're going to uh, we're going to specifically focus on Carol Shelby, the man himself, right? Right. In our earlier episode, which listeners can check out for free on iTunes, shameless plug, uh, you can hear us delving into Shelby's work with the Cobra 427. Mm-hmm. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit different because it occurred to you and I a few weeks ago that for two guys who mention Carol Shelby so often in other shows, we have yet to do a show actually about this guy. Yeah, I guess more of a biography piece, really. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just dive right in. How about that? And a little bit of it will be repeat from what we had said before, but uh, we're going to add an awful lot of material to this. So, um, you know, pay yeah. attention here, and there's some there's some good stuff coming at the end, too, I promise. Yes, we All right. always have a twist. All right, so here's uh, the man himself born way back in 1923, right? Yep, January 11th, Leesburg, Texas. Uh, you may hear him referred to sometimes uh, as... The world's most famous failed chicken farmer. Yeah, Have you ever heard that one? I, you know what? I've never heard that, but uh, but I did know he was a chicken farmer, and that's that may come as a surprise to a lot of people uh, because this is the uh, the early days of the sport, really. Um, I know it's still like we're talking like the mid fifties when his driving career really kicked oh, off. Early days of racing, not chicken farming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> chicken farming's been around a long, long time. Right. Uh, early days of of sports car racing, I guess, um, mm-hmm. and. That was uh, mid-50s, I guess, and there were really no big contracts to be had, no million-dollar deals to be made. Um, It really wasn't a full-time job. Much more clandestine. Exactly. So, you know, you were a driver on the weekend, and then during the week you still, uh, well, I guess you kept your day job, right? Yes. And and he's a, uh, he just happened to be a chicken farmer from East Texas that had this knack for driving cars fast. And what a knack he had. Scott, I think we have, uh, do you have a little bit about some of his early racing career? I I do. As a matter of fact, he's a, uh, he was a driver for several teams, uh, sports cars in the 1950s, and I'll just list them here for the, for uh, I think he began as a hobbyist in 1952. Okay, I'd buy that. Yep. Yeah. So mid 50s though, he was uh, he was racing for, uh, you know, I'm sure that through that he gained notoriety. Yeah. Um, teams took notice, or he mm-hmm. you know applied and said, "Hey, I'd like to drive for you guys." And they said, "Well, let's see what you can do." And um, he drove for Cat Allard. He drove for Aston Martin, mm-hmm. Maserati. Austin Healey for Donald Healey himself, by the way, which is really cool. Yeah, it's prestigious. Ferrari was one that he he did. Uh, he, he used a uh, Ferrari in a hill climb competition on in Mount Washington, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, very successful, and in fact, so successful that Aston Martin decided to pick him up as a uh, as a driver for the twenty four hours of Le Mans. Yes, and this uh, was after his performance with uh, Aston Martin uh, at Sebring. So he has 
earned his stripes by this time. And I think it was in 54 he was at Sebring, and so it was a little later he was at Lamont. And uh, just three years after that, he's out of the chicken-raising business, Scott, and he founds Carroll Shelby Sports Cars. Yeah, you know what? I need to go back just one yeah, yeah. quick second, because in 59, this is the big point here. Oh, yeah, in, this is the big switch. In 59, well, in 59, he actually he won the 24 Hours of Le Mans with Aston Martin, and that was probably what they call maybe the pinnacle of his racing career. Right. Um, now, another thing is that, he was also sports uh, sports car illustrated as driver of the year from 56, 1956 and 1957. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, let's see one more quick thing here. Um, oh, the Ben, keep going. I, okay. I forgot. To, uh, there's one more thing that I needed to mention, and I just it's on the tip of my tongue. Okay. Well, what we'll do is talk a little bit up to his. La- one of his last races. Okay. I've got it. What Never mind. It? I'm going to interrupt you. No, go for yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. He's a Formula One driver. Oh, and that that's was right. His, and you know what? The reason that I don't uh, didn't get that right away is he's he just to me he he didn't that really wasn't something that was touted later in his life that he was, right. he had this Formula One career very short lived. It was from 1958 to 1959. I don't think he won any races, didn't win any championships, mm-hmm. anything like that. But um, this Formula One thing about him. That was kind of like, uh, to me, an unknown. I had always thought it, you know, associated him with sports cars and then, of course, later with, uh, building cars like we talked, like you just mentioned. It's a, it's a deep cut. And this, oh, real quick sidebar before sure. we get to, uh, another plot twist. Uh, for anyone who is on Facebook, you can go to the Carol Shelby official fan page, which I am a fan of in my personal life. And every week they have some Shelby trivia. So this might be one of those things. Oh, okay. We might be giving people ammunition oh, for the trivia. Pay attention. The prize is a T-shirt. No, not bad. A whole T-shirt. Well, you know what, Ben? That's still pretty cool. I, I, uh, I'd still like to win something like that, you know, trivia contest. Plus, if we're giving them all the ammo they need, then why not? Yeah, I don't know why Give I said that, as though they'd only get part of a T-shirt. <laughs> okay, but this leads us to 1960, right, Scott? And this is where Shelby is preparing to race a Maserati 250F. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and he's still in the sports car world. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then it hits. It hits. A month later... He starts to have some chest pains. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is it, uh, like a lifelong thing for him. I mean, ever since he was a little kid, he had been having uh, heart issues, and uh, like I think it was like a leaky valve, I think is what it was. Okay. And um, so even later in his career, he was actually using um, nitroglycerin pills, and uh-huh. uh, he just had was having r- lots of trouble with his heart, and uh, it just. By 1960, it got to the point where it disrupted his career enough, his driving enough, rather, mm-hmm. that, uh, that it was something that made driving impossible for him as a profession. Right. He uh, was diagnosed with angina pectoris. Uh, this heart condition uh, effectively ended his career, uh, at least, as we'll see, in the professional racing aspect. Now, Scott, did you li- – I re-listened to our earlier show on sure. this. yeah. And – there's a really cool point that you had made where we're talking about, I think we do touch on his, how his heart condition led him out of the racing world. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in that rarefied field would be just crushed, and I'm sure he was, but instead of just giving up the ghost entirely, he decided to come back and launch a new career. Yeah, as a uh, as a constructor, as a builder. Mm-hmm. And uh, this all comes from his days in a sports car. Of course, you know, when he was driving, he was noticing other vehicles that were out there. And he took note of a uh, of a vehicle from a company, um, AC Cars, right? AC? Yes. A uh, specific model car called the, uh, the Bristol. Yep. And uh, that's the one that we here in the States uh, refer to as the Cobra. Mm-hmm. Um, and the body that everybody, I mean, it's, I think everybody knows exactly what an AC Cobra looks like. Right. So the Bristol comes when he puts a uh, Ford V8 into this. Mm-hmm. And, and a Bristol's a pretty small sports car. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't anything exceptionally overpowered or anything right. in its day. But he noted that, you know, this is the kind of look and size and, and type mm-hmm. of car that I want to uh, I want to eventually build. So what he did was he stuffed a giant Ford V8 under the hood. And uh, by giant, I mean the first one was like a two sixty. Uh-huh. And uh then they decided, well, it's maybe not enough. Let's jump up to two eighty nine. And then maybe that wasn't enough, so he jumps up again. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. But okay. um he did start just cramming these big Ford V eight engines under the hood of these Bristols. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, you know, started winning races and Ford takes notice yep. and says, you know what? 
maybe you're doing something right here that we'd like to kind of latch on to. How about you work with Ford and we create, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll let you build the uh, the AC Cobra, as you call it, here yeah. in the States. We'll, uh, uh, we want a Ford hot rod. Yeah, we want we want to put the Ford brand on it. So we're going to back this. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only are we going to help you build the AC Cobra, we're also going to uh, let you play around with our new car, mm-hmm. the Mustang. Right. And this results in the 1965 Shelby GT350. And uh, that's a beast. I, I want to talk a little bit, though, about some of the stuff. Uh, if we're okay with going back just a bit, I want to talk about some of the stuff they was doing um, while while this other thing uh, was happening, while sure. his relationship with Ford was growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a new outfit at the time called Shelby American, mm-hmm. which which we're going to delve into a little bit in the next few minutes. Yeah, it's still uh, around. It's still around, yeah. Spoiler alert. And uh, their racing program with Cobra began in 1962. So it didn't finish its first race, got a DNF in October of 62, but in uh, 63, two of his drivers took first and second at Riverside, uh, and this begins a, a very, I guess, a mutually beneficial relationship that Carroll Shelby has with drivers, because unlike some other owners, right, mm-hmm. he knows exactly experientially what's happening to these drivers what their concerns should be and this sort of leadership shows because uh as he begins the daytona cobra coupe project in uh, le mans and as uh shelby american and the cobras uh win the gt class and they place fourth overall Mm -hmm. in le mans um that all happened as he was beginning to go with Ford. What, I guess what I'm trying to say is this guy is doing a lot of stuff. And uh, when he got the uh, when when Ford saw what he was doing after the beginning of their relationship, Ford gives Shelby the GT40. Yeah, that's really cool because you know he won in '59 in uh, in an Aston Martin, mm-hmm. and he won in a car called the uh, the DBR1 in the 1959 DBR1. And there's a picture of it, Ben. I'm showing it to you right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. That is a that's a sexy looking car. We got to tell you that, that that is a nice looking car. It's not him behind the wheel in this shot here, but no. uh, that is a it's exactly what you would think a British sports car from the the late '50s would look like. It's gorgeous. And um, not only did Ford say, you know, like we we trust you so much, we're going to give you this uh, this new GT40 platform mm-hmm. to play around with, because um, it was 1966 and 1967 that Shelby returned uh, as team owner uh, with Team Shelby American Inc. Uh, with uh, you know a couple of GT40s. Yes. And he won in 66, 67, and he, listen to the drivers, Ben, for that. In in 66 for the for the Mark II, mm-hmm. uh, one of the drivers was Chris Anon. Amon, rather, mm-hmm. and uh, the ne- the next driver in that same car, Bruce McLaren. Really? Yeah, Bruce McLaren drove for Carroll Shelby in 1966, and then in 1967, another couple of big names um, in the Mark IV, uh, Dan Gurney and AJ Foyt. So, really? So some big names yeah. were behind the uh, you know, and Carroll Shelby, of course. Big names on this team in '66 and '67, but uh, but you know, those have to be. I think he probably would you know cherish his. His outright victory as a driver more than he would as a team owner, but still, uh, a, a victory you know two times in a row in this new platform from Ford, mm-hmm. which is a really cool platform, by the way. Yeah, um, we both love the GT40. Um, that uh, that's got to be just an amazing achievement. Something that uh, you know you, you relive that relive that in your memory over and over and over again, mm-hmm. the rest and, of your life. And. Uh, some of the executives at Ford were probably doing the same thing at the time because he helped them with one of their primary goals, which was beating Ferrari. Yep, you got to beat the pants off of Ferrari because remember there was that little bit of uh, that scourge between your scrimmage, scrimmage. Uh, animosity. Yeah, a little bit of tension. Uh, tr- little tension. That's maybe the best word for it. Remember when uh, Ford was going to buy Ferrari and they said uh-huh. last minute backed out of the deal, and then Ford said, "Well, take yeah. this. Here's GT40." If they cannot yeah. own you, we will crush you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know what for, which Ford executive that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I have a I have a guess. <laughs> all right. So, um, but but all right. So we talked about the uh, the uh, Shelby American Inc. Yeah. I do, do want to say one quick thing before we continue on here. What's that? Um, that Shelby American Inc. It's still around. Obviously, they've been yeah. around since '62. Um, they don't just do 
Cobras and Mustangs and things like that. They they also have a whole line of vehicles. If you go to their website now, mm-hmm. you'll find that they have Mustang-based cars. They have um, the Shelby Raptor, which is a Ford truck, of course. Um, they have a Focus. They have the Cobra vehicles, of course. They have a Shel- uh, They still have a Shelby GT40 that you could buy. Um, and then there's also the Shelby Daytona Coupe, which is a really cool car as well. Yeah. So um, worthwhile to look into Shelby American Inc. still and mm-hmm. uh, and see what they're doing because they they are continuing to sell vehicles. Um, and I guess we should say at this point that, uh, oh man, where do we go from here? Because it, it's not limited to Ford. It's not there's, limited to there's, Ford. There's other stuff I want to talk about. There's the Bristol cars that you know we did a we did a pretty good job of covering the history of Bristol cars in the uh, in the first podcast, right? So as with the Cobra, you may want to look back at that. Oh um, uh, well, I've got some stuff. We we have some other things that he did uh, that are not necessarily related as much to uh, his race or his career as a racer. Um, he begins to get. He begins to become a media personality, kind of yeah. a face of racing mm-hmm. in uh, the late 60s, going to the 70s. Uh, he's the kind of guy that you would see hanging out. He always, always, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this, this stereotypical media portrayal of a straight shooting, tell it like it is Texan. Mm-hmm. Didn't mince his words. He had that black hat on all the time. Had that black hat on the, all the time. You know, I have no room to talk with that one. And uh, he had um, he had charisma. Yeah, he had his Carroll Shelby jacket on. Mm-hmm. It was usually unzipped to about mid-chest, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had uh, just kind of a, oh, well, the big sideburns and everything. Mm-hmm. And he just looked the part of the, uh, yeah. of the sports racer, uh, you know, Team leader, you know, it's just he was a hands-on guy, of course. Um, that's why, you know, the AJ AJ Foyt kind of reminds me of that, in that he was a, uh, a hands-on guy as well. Like yeah. he would jump out of the car and fix it during the race himself. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of guy AJ Foyt was, and I bet he learned a lot of that working with Carroll Shelby uh, back in the you know the, the early to mid '60s. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, oh, that's kind of the background of this guy. He's he, you're right, stereotypical. On the sidelines, uh, you know, depiction of the uh, of the the racing Texan. Yeah, uh, little car, big engine. He would say that, and he he had a way with words. But just for an example, uh, he <laughs> he starts holding these uh, Texas chili cookoffs yeah. in 1968 and becomes surprisingly uh, well known for it. These take off, yeah. you know. Um, and it's funny because if you read some of the articles written about him in retrospect, uh, there are a lot of people who say that some of that was to enhance uh, the property value of some land he owned. Oh, could be. You know <laughs> that he also still, to, well, to, I mean, mm-hmm. his estate now owns, uh, there, there's a Carol Shelby's original Texas brand chili that you can mm-hmm. buy right now. Um, it's Actually, it's a chili kit, seasoning packets, that type yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. you can buy. But um, it was like, Two recipes, one for meat, one for chicken. He's got the whole thing figured out. But, um, yeah, it's funny. These, uh, these Texas chili cook-offs became a big deal at the racetracks, right? And, yeah. uh, and uh, for whatever reason, they just kind of hung around for, I mean, decades, right? I mean, he's, he's doing this stuff for a long, long time. Uh, cause chili's delicious, dude. Yeah, I know. He's <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah, perfect thing. Anyway, I mean, so. that, uh, are you, like, seriously, the Shelby chili kits are, are not that bad. It, I think they're pretty good. I've never had one. Yep. Nope. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to search for one here. I'd say up. go traditional. Okay. I'm getting sidelined, <laughs> but you know, don't dive right into chicken. Try the other yeah, one first. Cooking with Ben and Scott. All right. So let's get back to. Uh, how about we talk about Bristol cars a little bit? Yeah. Just a tiny little bit, yeah. and then, um, man, or do we want? To, tell you what. I'm gonna reverse that decision right now because okay. I want. I want to leave some of the. There's one particular car that I want to talk about at the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. That uh, I know we touched on it before, but it it warrants mess, uh, the message again. Well, hey, um, let's uh, let's just hang out before we. I, I feel like we have so much stuff that we want to say that we're we need to be careful not to throw it in willy nilly. So let's take a let's take a break. Uh, Noel, if you could play some some kind of relaxing music for us here. Yeah, there we go. That's pretty good. I feel better now. Yeah. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right. So, you know, we mentioned that it's not, uh, you know, his his career wasn't really limited to just Ford, right? Right. Yeah. He worked Uh, with some other companies. He did. He worked with other companies. And and the way that this comes about, and I don't know if a lot of people will, will draw this connection, but he ended up doing a lot of cars for Dodge. Now, he worked with Chrysler mm-hmm. back in, uh, starting in the early 80s. Yeah. And, uh, actually, way through, like, maybe, I want to say 2010, 11, something like that. Yeah, I've got some info on that. In, What's that? In 1982, uh, Lee Iacocca was running Chrysler, mm-hmm. and they really needed to... According to Iacocca, they really need to get some street cred with the performance buyers. And so that's when they get Shelby in because, you know, at this point, it's 82. At this point, uh, Shelby's opinion can count as a gold standard yeah, for a lot is, of people. What was the name of his company? Oh, um, his first one? Yeah, uh, Shelby, Shelby American. Shelby American Inc. Um, so, so 20 years after that. Now, th- you hit the nail right on the head, Ben, when, I, when you mentioned Lee Iacocca. Do you know what the connection is there between Iacocca and Shelby from years, years past? I don't. What is it? Iacocca worked at Ford as a designer at one point, uh, but he worked with a design team that, that created the Ford Mustang, the Ford Escort, the Lincoln Continental, you know, the, the resurgence of the Mercury brand. Mm. Um, so Iacocca was, was instrumental in the Ford Mustang project. Uh, years and years wow. prior, back in the mid, you know, early '60s, rather. Um, so Iacocca, you know, later said when he's working with Chrysler as as mm. head of Chrysler, mm-hmm. um, he says, you know, who we need here to really spice things up is we need Carroll Shelby because I worked with uh, with that guy. He was a loose cannon back in the day, but let's <laughs> see what he's like now. And um, I don't know. It just it seems like it's a uh, it it makes perfect sense when you think about it that mm-hmm. way. Um, so he brings him on and he says, you know, we've got this line of Dodge cars that we want you to look at. Right. And um, you know what can you do? 
Yeah, uh, one of the things he does, which I thought was interesting, he is, at this point, he is becoming his own brand. Mm -hmm. Or he has already become his own brand, arguably. So he puts his name with the uh, Dodge Shelby Charger. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one. Uh, He's on the Dodge Omni GLH uh, and other Chrysler uh, cars. Oh, yeah, lots of them. But the thing is, he he, um, there's a couple of different ways to group this. There are Dodge vehicles that... You know, bore the Shelby name, right? Uh, which you mentioned a couple like of the them right there. Or something, yeah, yeah, and the Omni GLH and all those. Um, also, there are some that use Shelby parts, but they weren't necessarily his projects, right? In that yeah. uh, they they use performance upgrades from his company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were some low production numbers that were actually, um, or low production vehicles rather, low number production uh, that were actually built at Shelby's Whittier, California plant and then sold as Shelby cars. So, um, you know, and we're talking about cars where they, they may build, you know, like 500 of them at most mm-hmm. or something like that. That was, uh, that was, those are some of the really, really cool cars to me, I think. Yeah. Maybe the best ones. The ones that have plaques on the, uh, on the dash, you know, that say, this is car number 415 out oh, of 500. Yeah. Um, one quick side note on the, uh, GLH. Cause mm-hmm. this is a car that I think is kind of, it's been forgotten in time, but it was really cool at the time. It slipped through the cracks. Yeah. Do you remember seeing these Omni GLH cars on the road? Do uh, you recall that? I remember seeing photographs. Okay. I don't remember seeing All right, one. Now, these were, these were from 1984 to 1986, and uh, the original name was supposed to be the Coyote. It was going to be the Omni Coyote or something like that, Dodge Omni Coyote. Okay. Uh, Carol Shelby chose the initials GLH, which did stand for Goes Like Hell. <laughs> and uh, you know that was kind of the uh, that's the, the, the urban legend. That was for the a legend, while. yeah. But it's true; it really did happen that way. And uh, it was just really a carryover from like the '83 Shelby Charger that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. A lot of the parts carried over into the Omni, which was a smaller and not smaller. It was just a different shape body, uh, hatchback, real real small. Um, then in '85 they had the GLH Turbo. Uh, then they had the GLHS, which mm-hmm. was uh, the, the final. I guess the final 500 of the turbo run. Yeah. Uh, and these are the ones that, that Shelby took back to his office, modified. All of them were black. All of them, um, had a Shelby ECU. They had, um, extra boost. They had mm. performance, you know, suspension kits. Uh, they had, um, uh, of course, interiors were different. Intercooler, um, I don't know, just all kinds of stuff. You know, lots of upgrades. Uh, full, you know, full performance package things, you know, mm-hmm. on this, on this whole vehicle. Um, and they had these, these dash plates, of course, that I mentioned before with the, uh, the, the number plates, which makes them kind of cool as well. Yeah. So you can still find those around. There, there are still some that will pop up here and there for sale. Mm-hmm. I bet a lot of them have a lot of wear and tear on them, but, um, I don't know. It's kind of a neat car. If you haven't really seen a Dodge Omni GLH, take a look at it, because even, even for the mid, uh, what is that? Mid sixty or mid eighties, rather. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of like the early days of the uh, street performance tuner type vehicle. Right. Yeah. Real it's early. kind of a, a blast from the past in some ways. Uh, Sh- uh, Shelby also uh, helped develop the Viper. Yes, that's a big one. That's a huge one. Yeah, and we just talked about um, the pace car, right? Oh yeah, we should talk about well, some. well the pace car. Yeah. He drove twice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, one of them. <laughs> get this. This is hard to believe. He drove in 1987. Uh, now remember, he's working with Chrysler from the early 80s on. So right. here's this, you know, this legend. Uh, they have him drive the uh, the the pace car f- for the Indy 500 in 1987, which happened to be uh, the Chrysler LeBaron, which is kind of hard to <laughs> imagine now at this point looking back, but it was. Right. And, uh, and of course, Shelby drove it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1991, he was asked back to be a driver again uh, when they used the Dodge Viper RT10, which mm-hmm. was the concept at the time. Um, and it was supposed to be, Ben, this is the, the little twist of this one, uh, it was supposed to be uh, the the Stealth vehicle. Was supposed to, The Dodge Stealth was supposed yeah. to be the car. But it was a Japanese-built car, and the UAW, the United Auto Work right. uh, Union Workers, um, they threw a fit over that and said, you can't have a Japanese-built car be the pace car for the Indy 500. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have you got? And they brought out the Dodge, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the Dodge Viper RT10 concept car, which Carol Shelby, Shelby again drove. And as uh, we've mentioned in the earlier uh, podcast on pace cars that you alluded to, uh, the Indy 500 race is always used American-made vehicles. Mm-hmm. Every and time. probably still will continue to I, so. I would think so. I don't think that tradition is going to change. Now, we need to start threading in a little bit of foreshadowing at this point in the Shelby story. Now, it was May 1991, right, where he's pacing in the Viper. Yes. 
the previous year, in June of 1990, he had a heart transplant. Yeah, yeah. He had to go through um, a heart transplant, uh, which, of course, saved his life, obviously. I mean, right. And it, and it kept him going for a long, long time. I mean, mm-hmm. um, man, I mean, that's a big deal for him. I mean, he, he had suffered with this since, since he was seven years old, mm-hmm. all the way through in, in, until 1990, which is, what, 70-some years old. And it inspired him, his survival. I bet it did, yeah. Yeah, it inspired him to help others, right? Yes, sir. And uh, and he did found a, uh, a charity, mm-hmm. uh, which is called the Carol Shelby Foundation. And I think that the the mission of this foundation is uh, is noble. There's no other way to say it. It funds heart transplants for children, correct? Yeah, and uh, and kidney issues as well. Ah, yes. Um, but but it does fund. It helps out children uh, and families of children that have, um, you know additional expenses due to medical costs. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a, you're right, it's a uh, it's a very, very good cause, and it's still around, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but it's been around since 1991. He founded it in 1991 because he was inspired by, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the help that he received in the, in the mm-hmm. medical field when he needed it most. Right, and the part you mentioned about kidneys, that's very important as well because in 1996, his son Michael donates a kidney. To really? Carol Shelby. Oh, no kidding. I didn't yeah. know he did that. Because uh, yeah. he had kidney issues. But he's working the entire time because in 1997, he's uh, partnering with Oldsmobile on the Shelby Series 1 car. Incredible. So he's, Incredible. Yeah, the, uh, I he's had got some, some fight in him. I had some notes about the Series 1, but I think I want to skip that for now. Okay. And, uh, and let's... Um, Let's move back into maybe some Bristol car stuff. You want to yeah, do that? Yeah, let's do okay, Bristol so cars. How about we uh, we talk about you know leading up to the uh, um, we'll lead up to the '66 Shelby. How about uh, that? Yes. Because um, I think that you know we we talked about the AC Bristol cars as I mentioned in the uh, was it April of 2011 podcast. Yes, and we talked about the Mark One, Mark Two, which mm-hmm. were the 260, 289. By 1965, Ben, <laughs> this is this is amazing. He was putting four twenty-seven engines in in these AC AC bodies, these AC Bristol bodies. Right. Um, calling them Cobra, of course. And the 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 maybe the one term that comes up most is this is a a mean car. I mean, that's probably the best uh, the best description of this thing is it's the it's the meanest street car you'll ever drive. The four twenty-seven, right? Yes. Um, now there are a couple of versions of this that we talked about. Most mm-hmm. of them were actually. And this will surprise a lot of people, but the 420, most of them were actually 428s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 428s, which are still badged as 427s, mm-hmm. were the streetcar version of the 427. And the 427s that were truly 427s, that had an actual 427 displacement, those were the race engines. And those are the ones, Ben, that are the, uh, that, that are described as the mean, I mean, not only the 428s, but also the 427 racing mm-hmm. engines. They were like the, uh, they were much, much stronger. Yeah, uh, I've got a great quotation from Shelby himself about this. Sure. Uh, when I built the dual supercharged 427 in Cobra in 1966, I wanted it to be the fastest, meanest car on the road, just okay. like you said, Scott. Uh, 40 years later, says Shelby, it will still kick the tail about, out of just about anything in the world. It's the fastest street legal Cobra I've ever owned. And he, Estimated the zero to sixty uh, mph there at a little over three seconds. All right, so the uh, man, that's amazing for so a street legal car. That's yes, incredible, sir. and that's now that now. Okay, when we're talking about the four twenty eight, which is the street version, right? Uh, these are these are SC cars, which are semi competition cars. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other version, the four twenty seven, which is a true four twenty seven, and the race engine, uh, that's a full competition car. And, uh, and very few of those remain. This is the kind, this is the one that has the 42 gallon fuel cell in the back. It's an <laughs> enormous, enormous fuel cell in the back. But, um, man, what a car. And that wasn't the top end either. There was one more that he built. Uh, he only built two. Are we talking Super Snakes? Uh, you know what? It's time to talk about the Super Snake because I've been dying to get to this the whole time. But I know, okay. I know we covered it quite a bit in the other one, but I still just, I just want to quickly talk about it because it's yeah. so cool. So what makes it different then? Um, I'll set you up. Well, what makes it different is it's, it's, uh, it's, what is it? Twin, it's twin supercharged. Mm-hmm. So it's got twin superchargers, an overhead valve V8, zero to 60 time is, again, it's a 427. Um, 
zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds, and that's in 1966, Ben. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I accidentally let the cat out of the bag yeah. too early because that quotation, yeah. you guys, that quotation is Shelby talking about. That's okay. Snake. No, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Don't all worry right. about it because, you know what, the other ones are pretty darn close to that. Yeah, um, but they're not that close. Well, not that close, but this is the uh, the 800-horsepower beast that uh, we we talked about Bill Cosby owning it for, what, one day? One day. Yeah, yeah. one day, and then he sold it, and it was just too much power for him. To, uh, he was too scared to drive it. And that's literally. a true story, you guys. He, he was literally too scared to to keep the car. Mm-hmm. Um, it then sold to, uh, oh, man, this is one of only two, remember. he, he Right. There's Carol, Carol Shelby, who owned one, who built it for himself, mm-hmm. and then he built one for Bill Cosby, who was a friend of his at the time. Yes. Um, and, and a car enthusiast, obviously. Um, said it was too much car for him, so he sold it or he gave it back to Carol Shelby. Mm-hmm. They sold it to another guy who, uh, unfortunately, the guy drove it. This out, this thing is a monster. Yeah, the guy drove it off a cliff and into the Pacific Ocean and died. Yeah, ha- uh, his name is Tony. 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 Tony was the driver. Uh, Tony yeah. uh, Maxi, I think, was his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, then it was actually it was it was bought by somebody, fully restored. Mm-hmm. And uh, then sold again. And there's a guy named, uh, and I heard somewhere that that um, Bill Cosby said that it's now owned by another guy, another entertainer, right? Um, his name is Jimmy Jimmy Webb, I think, and he's an uh, American songwriter, composer, singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jimmy Webb is now in possession of the car that Bill Cosby once owned for one day. <laughs> it was driven off a cliff into the Pacific Ocean. Right, killed its owner. Then it was restored, and now Jimmy, uh, this uh, yeah, Jimmy Webb owns this car mm-hmm. again. And then, of course, there's the original that that Shelby owned, which I don't know if that's the one that is that the auction vehicle, the one that got the 5.5 million auction price. Yeah, I mean, Ben, I tell you, like I was so excited to talk about this car again, and I know that it's a little bit of a rehash of what we talked about, just a little bit, but man, there's. Uh, there's so much about the Super Snake uh, from those days that that is worthwhile mentioning, mm-hmm. and they still continue to this day. Um, at at um, uh, I keep thinking of the name the uh, the Shelby American Inc. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They still continue to build cars that they call Super Snake. Right, yeah, but they're not the original Super Snakes. It's not. You it's know not what I mean? One of those two. No, but they do and. Boy, one more thing here that okay. I have to mention about um, about Super Snake is that recently Hot Rod Magazine did this uh, this comparison. It was a really cool comparison. Uh, it was between a 427 Cobra and a 2011 Super Snake that was created or constructed by uh, Shelby American Inc., mm-hmm. uh, which they're still doing to this day, but this is a 2011 example. Um, now, regarding the 427 Cobra, they called it the, the baddest, nastiest, just the meanest car that's right. ever been driven on the on, in their in their competition in their uh, in their comparisons. Um, it's a, it was an extremely rare car. Um, it's just a really raw car as well. They said mm-hmm. that it was just like you know the 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 bare elements of a car really. I mean, it was just the the meanest thing. Um, loads of power on demand. And and get this, this is the 550 horsepower version. It's not the 800 horsepower version that we had just mentioned. You know, yeah, the, uh, the Super Snake uh, of the 427 Cobra. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together, and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics 
in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, and it weighed something like 2,460 pounds, right? Well, then wow. they have this uh, this 2011 Shelby Super Snake, which is a Mustang-based car mm-hmm. that, that, of course, Carroll Shelby's company makes. Um, 750 horsepower, Ben, in this thing. It's a 5.4 liter supercharged V8, and it weighs about 3,950 pounds. So it's quite a bit more, you know, it's a lot heavier yeah, it's than the uh, than the Cobra. Um, now Carroll Shelby himself in this in this comparison, because he was interviewed during this, he said about that 5.4 liter engine that that's the finest engine that's ever been built in an American in an American car, or rather in America. Wow. Uh, that that 5.4 liter. Um, supercharged engines. So he, he was really, really happy about it. And he said for a long, long time, why they waited to build the Super Snake was because for a long time they were limited to about 500 horsepower. Uh, but that they changed some things around it. Mm-hmm. Carroll Shelby, they, uh, they did what they had to do to make it work. And they got the thing up to like 750 horsepower, something that would be, you know, a worthy, I guess, of the Super Snake name. Because they don't just put the Super Snake name on anything. Right. I mean, that's I something that, so. uh, that Carol Shelby takes pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he hangs on to that until, you know, they get up to about 750. Um, but it's, it, just to give you an idea now, he said it was ungodly fast, the guy that drove this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just says power when you need it. It's, it's just like a stock Mustang when you don't need it, but any other time it, it competes well with the 427 Cobra. So, um, there is a modern version that you can get your hands on out there. Yes. If, you, if you can't get one of these ultra rare 427 Cobras, um, or, you know, a kit car version of it if you mm-hmm. can't get an original. Um, there's something modern out there that you can get from Shelby American Inc. that will, uh, will sort of maybe hold you over a little bit. Now, Scott, at this point, before we wrap up anything, we need to anticipate uh, our listeners here because we tried to cover some stuff, and I think we did okay, but there's a lot of stuff that we just couldn't get into this podcast, right? Yeah, yeah we hit a few, we hit a few of these, a lot of them. We didn't touch on his education, mm-hmm. uh, which was shortened due to World War II. Um, I think that he was actually enrolled, he graduated from high school in f- 1940. Mm-hmm. He was enrolled at, uh, the Georgia School of Technology in the aeronaut- aeronautical engineering program, but the war started up. And, uh, he went off to serve, of course. And, uh, he became a World War II aviator. Um, and he ended up graduating as the, with the rank of, uh, uh, staff sergeant pilot from there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. He raced in sports cars. We mentioned that. He raced right. in F1. We mentioned that. Um, stopped due to heart issues. We talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, boy, let's see. Le Mans victory as, as driver and owner. Right. Yeah, we got that. Um, oh, he set land speed records in Bonneville. We didn't talk about that. We did not. Um, he was Sports Car Illustrated Driver of the Year. We talked about that. Twice, right? Um, yeah, he was inducted to the Automotive Hall of Fame in 1992. We, we missed that. Mm-hmm. My gosh. I mean, he founded his own charity in 1991. The guy has his own brand of chili, Ben. <laughs> um, he's, it, this guy, and he was really, he was a genuinely good guy. I mean, whatever project he touched, he seemed to breathe 
like life into that project and it, and it became a Carol Shelby project. And I think that that's why, you know, some of these big manufacturers like to work with him on this, uh, on this real, um, high level, you know, like yeah. th- that, uh, they, they enjoyed having him associated with their brand and, uh, and he liked being associated with them as well. And he continued working toward the very end of his life, uh, Carol Shelby passed away on May 10th, 2012, just a little more than a year ago as we record this. Yeah, that's not that long ago. Right, and that was in Dallas, Texas. And uh, when he when he passed, he left behind a legacy that endures, uh, is going to endure for generations after him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds a little bit corny, but it is true when you think about how one person could change not just the face of multiple car companies, but also more than one industry. I mean, I'm not even counting Chile. Mm-hmm. This man has led an amazing life. Now, he didn't always stay away from controversy. It is true that uh, Car and Driver magazine uh, had, at times, some disagreements with him, for example, um People will remember uh, stories about lawsuits that happened in the course of his career. Um, there was some, uh, there was for a time a little bit of controversy about uh, the Shelby Foundation, even. Um, and it's no secret that Carol Shelby did not always agree with the Shelby American Automobile Club. Yeah, there was a, quite a bit of controversy, but you got to think about how long this guy's career was, exactly what he did, and honestly, like the the charity thing that was all cleared up relatively mm-hmm. quickly. But the, but the news did come out that there was some kind of uh, something funny going on there, and eventually they found out that that wasn't the case. Right then, then it uh, then there was some dispute over a car company that was going to use uh, some badges that uh, they had the Super Snake badges, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember what name the name is like Craft Car Company or something like that. They were going to use the the badges. Um, and so that's another lawsuit. And, of course, his name is drug out there again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that there were some other disputes with, uh, you know, just here and there. I mean, lawsuits. And that yeah. happens when you're the head of of big corporations like this. And you, exactly. you're, you've got your, you know, you've got so many different uh, lines in the water. Something's going to go wrong at some point here and there. And you just have to kind of put out the fires as you go. Yeah. And I love that you say that phrase. Am I rolling over you? Cause I've no, got... no, that's all right. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm all right. So he was... Uh, 85 when he was, if you will, squashing the beef, resolving things with uh, car and drivers specifically. And the reporters who wrote the stories about him uh, had the sense that he knew his time was limited. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm quoting from an article there. Sure. And he wanted to make sure that he had set the story straight. And so he resolved a lot of these things um and he passed away, as we said, in uh, 2012. Uh, he had been ill for some time, and the ultimate cause of death was listed as pneumonia. But he was 89, Scott. That's a that is an enviable age. Yeah, sure. And to work right up to the end, and uh, to mm-hmm. be successful right up until the end. I mean, yeah. it, did, it didn't really trail off. I mean, I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds here and saying that he was probably a household name for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was an automotive icon. I don't think that there are many people that you could mention the name Carol Shelby to, and they wouldn't know exactly who you're talking about, or in their mind, almost immediately picture an AC Cobra. Mm-hmm. I think that's just one of those things that you know people will associate. Even people who aren't really, you know, car guys or girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Carol Shelby, and I think that they'll know who that person is. I, I really do. I feel that I know we're we're intimately involved with the automotive world. We know you know all about them and everything. But I think someone outside would also get that mental image. I've got something for us to end on. Sure. Right? Okay. <clears throat> this comes from a line by uh, journalist Stephen Cole Smith. Who, who wrote an excellent article that I've been uh, looking at for a lot of this podcast. Shelby often said that if he had been better at raising chickens, he would never have had to resort to his career plan B, building and racing cars. Really? Yeah, and we are so glad, Mr. Shelby, that you decided to get out of the chicken industry. Plan B, huh? And <laughs> he said if he, had, if he had been better at raising chickens. So he, he says that he wasn't a great chicken farmer, right? It sounds like something he would say. Uh, it does sound like something he would say, yeah. Well, so we are going to go ahead and head out, you guys. We hope that you have enjoyed our exploration of the life and times of Carol Shelby. Uh, write to us. Let us know what you think if there's... 
another anecdote that you would like to tell us about? Or oh, There have to be. I mean, the guy was 89 years old and, mm-hmm. and, and a, a total character. Mm-hmm. There have to be stories out there that, you know, maybe even some of our listeners have had, um, you know, some type of personal contact with him. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody had met him or, you know, had the pleasure of, uh, you know, going to his shop in mm-hmm. Texas or, or California or, uh, or just meeting him, tell us about it. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about Carol Shelby, you can check out our website, HowStuffWorks.com. You can just type in Shelby and Cobra in the search bar, and you're going to have a couple of really cool articles pop up. Uh, You can, well, we can post them, too, to make it easier. And you can find them on our Facebook. We are Car Stuff HSW. You can drop us a line on Twitter. You don't have to have something important to say. You can just say hi. We'll say hi back. Anything's fine. We're cool, guys. Or uh, you want to get a little bit more in-depth to say, you can send us an email directly. We are carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.